Greetings and welcome to our latest episode of Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. We are a community-based podcast and radio show in which people of Santa Ana, California, tell us in their own words about the music that means the most to them. I am Elizabeth Le Guin, your program host and director of this project. I've been a musician since I was 10 years old, which makes over half a century now. I was trained as a classical cellist, and I'm currently a professor of musicology at UCLA. I live in Santa Ana, where I'm part of a community that practices Mexican traditional music. This project is based on my conviction that we people in the modern world need to learn to listen to one another, and that music is the perfect place to begin. My name is David Castaneda, music researcher here for the Si Yo Fuera Una Canción podcast. I'm a percussionist specializing in musics from Latin America and the United States. In addition to playing these musics, I have also studied them. I recently finished my PhD dissertation in ethnomusicology, which explored the ways that musicians are listening to each other across national, cultural, and ethnic lines. I'm so happy to be a part of this project, using my training and my performance experience to bring you the stories, music, and lived experiences of those living right here in Santa Ana. Like a number of our interviewees, Marla mentions El Centro Cultural de México in the course of our conversation. I've talked about Centro before, but for listeners who have joined us more recently, I'll take a moment here to introduce it again. Centro has been a Santa Ana institution for almost 25 years. It hosts free or low-cost classes and events in traditional Mexican arts and culture, and it also has served as a hub for community-based activism on behalf of immigrants, workers, and the undocumented. Centro's physical location has been closed for a year and a half due to the pandemic, but its spirit has remained strong. Preparations are underway to reopen as I record these words. All right. Um, welcome, Marla. I'm so delighted that, that you've agreed to do an interview with us, and I'm really excited about the music you've chosen and, and just about having this conversation and getting to know you a little bit better through the conversation. Um, so just tell us your name and what you'd like people to know about yourself in a public context and how it is that you are in Santa Ana, what brought you here, what keeps you here? Yeah, sure. Um, my name is Marla Sanchez, and I am a mom of two um, really amazing LGBTQ kids. And um, what brings me and brought me to Santana was my grandparents. They were farm workers in Central California and really wanted a different life for their for their kids. And so they moved here, and our family stayed here. My uncles and my tias live here. My parents lived here. My mom's sisters kind of moved here and we just kind of set down roots. Um, and I actually spent a lot of time trying to get out of here because I felt like there wasn't a lot of folks that had the same values or vision of what life should be like. Um, hmm. And I moved away shortly to Napa to go to college. And then I came back and found, um, I found my people. <laughs> huh. Had something changed in Santa Ana during the, the time that you were away, do you think? No. In fact, it's really funny because um, I had had friends tell me about El Centro, um, and I could never find it before I moved. <laughs> and, um, and I was like, oh, like, that's a shame. Like, you know, I don't I can never find these people. And then when I moved away, my brother started going to punk shows at El Centro. And I still didn't find it for a few years after I came back. But when I did, I think it was just the right time. Um, I had kids by then and it was just a good moment for us to find the space. We really needed it at that time. So it was, I think it was really just perfect divine timing. <laughs> <laughs> so interesting. Um, just a couple of questions. You said your, your grandparents moved here. Is that correct? Did I understand? Yeah. You right? And uh, Approximately when would that have been? It was in the early 1950s. Wow. So like 1951. I think they bought this house that we live in now in like 52 or 53. Yeah. I, yeah, I'm trying to imagine Santa Ana in the early 50s. I know it was very different from what it is now. 
Um, yeah. They tell me it was very, very different. Even when I was little um, in the early 80s in this neighborhood, it was very different from what it is today. Yeah, I hear that a lot. I am often told by by people that the neighborhood that I live in, which is kind of in the southern part of the city, uh, that it was actually really quite a dangerous area, or that's, that's how they put mm-hmm. it anyway. And uh, I certainly don't feel that now. So obviously there have been <laughs> big big changes. Yeah. And, and there continue to be changes, of course. Yeah. Actually, my parents live kind of near you. That's where I grew up is more over there towards Maine and Edinger. Mm-hmm. And I remember like drive-bys and like friends, just so many people died in, in the nineties, you know, in the neighborhood. Wow. Wow. It's very different. Yeah, it is very different. Wow. That's something. Um, Another another thing I, you know, just from your self-introduction that I wanted to ask you to go into just a tiny bit more was you, as, as I understood it, you, you, you said you were, you were kind of looking for something here in Santana and not finding it and so that you felt that you had to leave and, and you did leave for a while. Can you tell us a little bit more about what it was you were looking for? Yeah, I, I'm not even sure I really knew at the time. <laughs> uh-huh. I just, what I knew was that I didn't fit in anywhere. Um, even in my own family, I felt like I didn't fit in. Like people didn't really understand how my brain worked or like my, my feelings were so, so much. And I knew that there was so much more to life and so many things seemed wrong to me that I think that at that time, the way that I could identify it was kind of more like how hippies were, you know? Uh-huh. <laughs> it was like, I want to live more free. I want to be more in connection to the earth. Um, mm-hmm. And didn't have a lot of reference points for what that meant for me from where I come from. Cause I had always seen it through a Eurocentric lens where it's like, um, or it's like this hippie, hippie movement or like new age. And I didn't have a clear understanding of what that meant for, for me and my family and what our roots were in that kind of way of life. Yes. Um, so I was looking for something outside of myself and my, my community. And then I had to come back to my community to find my roots and my, you know, that, that thing that I couldn't name at that time, because I think I wouldn't call it any of those things now. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, I'm not sure it's a great idea to even give it a name, because it's like a, mm-hmm. a, complex, a complex of values, right? I, I actually, I suspect, given the, the music that you've chosen for this interview, that we're going to get a little closer to what that complex is, just kind of through talking about the songs mm-hmm. that you chose. So, Tell us a little bit about the first song that you chose and why you chose it and maybe, you know, like when it, when it came into your life and how it came into your life. Sure, sure. Um, the first song that I picked was Vangle by Anati Hugh, which I don't remember exactly when it came into my life. I know it was several years ago. And um, what was the other question? <laughs> um, maybe just a few words about why you chose it. Oh, okay. Yes. Um, I chose it partially because of the, the, the way the music mixes. So part of it for me is very much this like rap, like that's how I, that's the music I grew up with in my, in my neighborhood and my family was, you know, hip hop and rap was like all we listened to. (laughs) So that for me is very much the side of my family that is from the United States. My dad is Chicano. So he's also like kind of in the same vein of music, we have like similar tastes. Mm. Um, my mom is an immigrant from Veracruz. And so I also really liked that there was like this kind of like indigenous and like Mesoamerican sound mixed in with um, the rap. Yeah. 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 And I, then the words are just like so on point. <laughs> for, uh, it, it's amazing. It's, it's como un chorro de palabras. You know, you know it's, like, it's mm-hmm. like this stream of words that come out of that song. It's, I mean, that's true of a lot of hip hop, of course. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, but there's something about, about the way she delivers those words that is, 
I mean, I, I, I totally agree with you. It, it's, it's really compelling. Um, mm. um, so yeah, lots of words. And, and what, what are the things that she, that she says in this song that she tells us? What are the things that she tells us that, that you know, really like drew, drew your attention early on when you were first hearing this song? I just felt like a lot of the way that she delivers it and what she's saying is so raw and mm. like powerful and vulnerable at the same time, mm. which is exactly how I feel. I feel, I really identify with that. Like want, like wanting to come in, looking for answers, coming in with this knowing that is coming from somewhere else. It's coming from, you know, our ancestors. It's coming from our, our lineages that came before us. Um, and trying to reimagine the world, you know, no, seeing that things are not quite right, and that mm. there's a there's a different way to go to go through it, um, yeah. and bringing art into it, you know, vengo con la palabra. I, I write a lot, and so for me, poetry and just any any form of the written word is really incredible and powerful. And the, the, her voice and the music and the lyrics are just like. They give me chills. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Me too. Me too. I, yeah, I, I was, you know, listening to it again this morning, and I was just really, really struck by the urgency of it. I think, I think that's the word I want. I mean, it's some, a lot of hip-hop is urgent, I think, but sometimes I feel like uh, with hip-hop, the urgency crosses over into aggression, and there's some very good reasons for that. But in this case, it she doesn't. That's not where she goes with her urgency. So it's it's more just like like very pure. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I find it like a very sacred. It's like very sacred at the song. <laughs> like it's almost like a prayer. <laughs> yes. Yes, you're right. It there's it, it does like, you know, like a real prayer that's really coming out of the heart, you know, there's going to be urgency there because you really want mm -hmm. to be heard. <laughs> <laughs> um, why don't we listen to the song? Vengo en busca de respuestas con el manojo lleno y las venas abiertas. Vengo. Como un libro abierto, ansiosa de aprender la historia no contada de nuestros ancestros Con el viento que dejaron los abuelos y que viven cada pensamiento de esta amada tierra, tierra Quien sabe cuidarlo es quien de verdad la quiere Made me cry <laughs> Oh, cool <laughs> Not that I want you to cry, but It's a good cry <laughs> Uh-huh Oh, um, what what grabbed your heart in that way this time around? I, I feel like she opens it so powerfully. Vengo en busco de, de respuestas. I mm. feel like, like I came into this life with a certain way of feeling and thinking and wanting to question. Mm. That's one part of it, you know, wanting to find a different way. Um, but then there's a part two where she's talking about, um, the histories of our ancestors that aren't told and y el orgullo indio mm -hmm. and just um that disconnection from my heritage from my lineage um my mom's mom who is from veracruz my mom is from veracruz she's the last native speaker of nahuatl in our family and we have no no information about you know our family's native history yeah. and same thing on my dad's side you know my dad's family has been in the united states prior to it being the united states um and we have lots of you know rumors you know hmm. that this relative was apache or we have apache or we're part navajo but we don't have any real connections to those communities and we have lots of lost lost knowledge, I feel like in so many ways and, and not even just native, but just, you know, with my mom being an immigrant, when she came to this country, um, she really, she really wanted to give herself and her family and her kids a better life. And so she tells me like, you know, I really wanted to name you Sochi, 
but I just felt like that would make your life so much harder. So we decided to name you Marla because it's easier to pronounce, you know? Yeah. And so there's so much culture that was lost because of religion, um, religious changes, or just trying to be more American and fit in. Um, and I feel such a strong connection to more ancestral ways and more traditional ways. And so it feels like a loss. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, that <laughs> plenty of reason to cry about that. It, you know, but what's so striking here is that Anita Tijoux is not crying. She is marching. Mm -hmm. I mean, this song, it has, the beat is just pretty much exactly, I think, the speed and the, the swing and the feel that you'd have if you were kind of marching along. You know, if you were walking a long way, like maybe a thousand miles, you know, you'd want to have a kind of rhythm to your to your walk to just keep you going. And that's the that's the rhythm I hear in this song is it's just marching forward. Absolutely. And, you know, when she says vengo, it's like, I'm coming. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and we're bringing it. <laughs> we're bringing all the ancestors. We're bringing all the elements. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we're building something. I feel like it is so such a hopeful song. Like yeah. it does give you a sense of strength and like purpose. Yeah. You know, and a pesar de todo, you know, despite all these losses that you just mentioned, the, the, you know, beyond heartbreaking, what's been lost, what's been destroyed. Um, I think about this a lot from my positioning just as a historian. Uh, and the further you get into working with the histories of peoples who, uh, you know, didn't didn't necessarily write books of their own histories, they they kept their histories orally or, or through uh, practices that were handed down through generations, you know, and that stuff has been kind of decimated in a lot of cases. A lot of um, immigration is a big part of that. And, and just, you know, various genocides are a big part of that. And so, you know, I live in that space of grief. I, th I think I recognize it. It's my positioning is a little different than yours. But but I think there's a relationship between these these griefs, if you will. And and yet, here comes Anna Tijoux and all her 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 tribe. <laughs> and and I, I see it as just like this big group of of dark-haired women with high cheekbones and they're just marching and they're coming yeah and yeah it's it's i agree it's it's super hopeful and and that's the trick isn't it to pull hopefulness out of a past that has been kind of chopped up and and messed with and and oppressed and and edited Okay, Elizabeth, so Vengo by Ana Tijoux. Wow, there's so much here. There's so much uh, that it means to so many different people, and it's such an iconic song for so many different reasons. You know, I think Marla actually is so eloquent about this. What I can tell you is that in the immigrant communities, in the activist communities here in Santana that I have been a part of for about 10 years, um, this song and the whole album that it comes from, the the song Bengo is the title song of the album Bengo. Um, that they are they're iconic. They're they're like the whole thing is a kind of monument to a particular consciousness uh, among immigrant folk who are trying to find a way to exist in the United States of America that makes sense, that works, and that is something more than just buying into capitalism. <laughs> and Anita Tijoux's work has just really, it just goes right to the heart of that for so many people that I know. So, so Marla is, um, she's, she's actu actually speaking very eloquently for a lot of people about this song. It's very interesting for me to think about what it is that Ana Tijoux is trying to do. Uh, this album and this song are part of a very considerable body of work. She does a beautiful job of it. She says the thing. 
Um, and she manages to make that more than just merely a lecture. And I'm hesitating here because there's another side to it, I think, that doesn't get talked about as much. And I think it's a very interesting side. Um, and, and that is that she is also a commercial artist, a very successful one. Her, her work is, you know, not only poetically beautiful and musically interesting, it's also very highly polished and beautifully produced. And that just, that doesn't come out of a garage studio. I don't think that Anna Tijoux at any point in her life has been one of the oppressed peoples that she speaks on behalf of. And that raises a lot of interesting questions. I, she's, she's too astute and too smart to just, you know, take the podium and try to speak for other people. She's, she's not doing that. She's, she's making art that speaks to people who are struggling in this world. And she does it very deftly and very beautifully. But I cannot help feeling that there is another step that is not taken here. And that is the step of if liberation is what you're about, if liberation is what you want your life and your work to be about, there's going to come this moment where you have to step away from the mic and you have to get down from the podium and you hand that mic or that podium or that guitar or that recording studio to the people who need the liberation. And that's a very interesting moment. Um, Anna Tiju's work, as we know it, is it's not about that. Uh, she's, she's doing important work in the world with her art. But I just want to say that the, the full picture of liberation involves this other piece where we who enjoy these platforms and these microphones in society, who have the advantage to be able to produce a podcast like this one, uh, where we need to fold our hands and step back and say, here, here's the mic. Tell us in your own words what it is you need and want and how this world needs to be different. Yeah. Yeah, I feel I feel so much that for me there's been this call, like this deep like and I think she even says it in the song, like this urgency to learn his to learn the histories. Mm -hmm. Um because we don't want to repeat that. We want we want to create we want to see the world in a different way. We want to create the world in a different way. Like that's for me, that's the call. And that's I think what I was looking for when I left. Santana and I was trying to find this thing it was like I want to I want the world to be different yeah um and how do we do that and who's doing that <laughs> yeah yeah and so how are you doing that take it sort of fast forward to the present for for a moment here uh how how has your path reflected this this march this you know the the coming of uh that 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 Tiju speaks of? I think a lot of it has to do with um, the work that I'm doing now with the, the school, with Unidos Homeschool Cooperative, and really making sure that those things that I wasn't taught in school, that my kids and these other kids who are, are doing school with us are learning from the beginning, mm. that we're teaching them about um, different types of, of music from different parts of of all of Turtle Island, you know, like Mesoamerica and South America and all of it. Mm. Mm. And really recognizing the different tribes, the different languages, the different traditions and, and creating relationships here where we are now with the, with the tribes that are the original caretakers of these lands, the Ahashiman and the Tongva, we, we go and we spend time with them in their, um, in their struggles and in their celebrations. And we have friendships that we're building just to create community. I think community is a big part of it. Mm. And I think that's why I've been drawn to the spaces I've been drawn to because there's a similarity in values and there's this like cohesiveness in the community sense of it's not just the nuclear family that's taking care of, you know, their own little group, but there's this larger community and we're all looking out for each other. And bringing that forward sort of front and center in an 
an educational enterprise. I mean, mm-hmm. do do the kids in your cooperative do they feel like they're going to school in any sense that you know that I might recognize? Or <laughs> <laughs> it's very different. <laughs> Before the pandemic, we were in our home, so it was like. We didn't really have a classroom. We would do class in the front yard or the backyard, and we would make lunch together in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a loose rhythm, but we also try to be super flexible, mm-hmm. you know, and really deal with, like, you know, we're dealing with little kids, so sometimes there's conflict, and we will stop everything. We will stop a lesson to deal with the conflict as a group, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How different is that right there? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that part of what's front and center, it sounds like, is just the health of of the collective, of the community in any given moment, that that's more important than some program. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I'm just standing here trying to imagine a world in which if, if that one principle uh, we're operating, you know, in 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 our governance systems right now, uh, in in any consistent way. I, th- I think we have moments of it, but uh, mm-hmm. only only moments, and they're pretty fleeting. Uh, you know, just how how would things look? I I can't quite complete that thought experiment because I know they would look so different. Well, I I want to make sure. Uh, that I get some of the the links that you have to to your school that are public and suitable for the public to look at. I want to make sure that we publish them on our website. Uh, you know, and coordinating yeah. it when when we release your episode, we'll coordinate cool. that uh, so people can check out in a little bit more depth what it is you're up to. It's it's very exciting. I mean, you know, okay. You hear this a lot, but it's it's merely true that children are the future. And yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna change things, it's a really good place to start. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah, that's exactly how I see it. <laughs> yep. Well, so that makes a great pivot point to talking about your second song, I think, which is the song you chose to uh, express or represent some of your hopes for the future. And so you chose Alicia Keys' Authors of Forever, which I noted when I was researching uh, for this interview. It, it came out only last year. It's quite a new song. Yeah. And I sort of feel like maybe, shall we listen to it first and then talk? Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it. We are lost and lonely people And we're looking for a reason and it's alright So let's celebrate the dreamers We embrace the space between us cause it's alright Tell me a little bit about when you would be likely to listen to this song. I I like to listen to Alicia Keys all the time. <laughs> mm. In in the shower, in the car. Um and and this song in particular. I love I love the way her voice sounds. I she's one of the the artists that I will like always sing along to cuz I just her her words and and the voice, the music are so beautiful. Um mm. This is something that I I would listen to when I'm feeling down. I, I feel like it's a it's a double. I listen to it when I want to cry. <laughs> uh-huh. I listen to it when I want some strength. I want some hope. <laughs> yeah. Um, some peace, you know. Isn't it funny how we I, I think this this is really common. I know I do it. How we think that crying and getting strength are somehow different from each other. Mm, yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe actually crying is a way to get in touch with some of our strength. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I had not thought of it that way before. <laughs> but, but you know how, 
when you have a good cry about something, uh, very often, at least I come out of that feeling renewed. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe it's just catharsis. Maybe it's just letting some stuff go. But sometimes you got to let stuff go for the other stuff that moves us forward to come in. Yeah. It's, so it seems, yeah. To me, it seems to me those two functions can... <laughs> they they kind of they kind of combine, you know. Um, yeah. So she keeps saying it's all right, it's all right. Yeah, I feel like you nailed it. Like I hadn't really looked at it that way before, but I feel like that's so much of what this song embodies, right? Because it's talking about like the duality of of being human, mm-hmm. and like we mess up, we 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 hate. You know, we doubt, we, we're struggling, but it's all right. We're going to get through it. You know, we still have to love hard because we're only here, you know, maybe once. (laughs) (laughs) Who knows? (laughs) This, this version for sure is only this one time. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. It's, it makes, it's such a great pair with your first song because in the first song she's coming she's she's gonna arrive she's on her way get ready right and in this song it's kind of like we're all here we this is where we are and it's maybe not going so great some of the time (laughs) (laughs) you know but uh but it's all right it's it's like it's like an invitation to continue, I guess. Yeah, and to be gentle with each other. I feel like so it's so easy for me, and I feel like for other people too, to get caught up in blaming other people for their circumstances or blaming them for not doing what we would have done in their circumstances. Hmm. And I feel like in, like in this song, she's like reminding us like we're all here with a set of unique experiences that make us who we are. And all of that is valid. And we're still able to bring such beauty and light into the world. And, and again, like recreate the world in, in the way we want to, in the way that feels safe and loving for us while accepting others. Yeah. Yeah. And well, yeah, there's the hope for the future, of course. Mm-hmm. Well, what's it's like the second or third line that she sings, and I'm going to misremember it. Um, I don't have it written down in front of me, but about about um, kind of loving and welcoming the spaces between us. Yeah, we embrace the space between us because it's all right. There we go. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It. So. I had an interesting experience. I did not know this song. I, I knew the Bengal beforehand, as I told you. But this song I did not know prior to this interview. So I've just been getting getting to know it over the last few days. And I had an, an interesting experience with it, which I want to very briefly uh, tell you, which is I, I listened to the version you sent me, which is the version on, on Apple Music, and listened to it several times. And I thought, you know, well, I thought all my musicologist thoughts about it, you know, <laughs> most of which are not very useful. <laughs> They're not very useful for this interview. But but it did strike me that uh, in contrast with, with Anita Tiju's song, this song, it goes at almost exactly the same rhythm. It's got the same kind of walking rhythm to it. And I, th- I thought that's really cool that both these songs are kind of just walking forward. They're not in a hurry, but they're not stopping either. So that they have that in common, but then this song is so much more spacious. It, you know, she's not delivering a huge amount of text with this urgency. It doesn't have that urgency. It, it has more kind of open space in it somehow. And I began feeling almost a little bit as if that open space were a kind of an emptiness. And that led me down a path of thinking, you know, is is she really believing what she's saying? Does she really think it's all right? It's like, it it seems like she's saying singing it from this really 
lonely place, like an acoustically lonely place. And I got all worried about that. <laughs> so there's, there's a resolution to this story. But before I tell you what my personal resolution was to this, uh, to my worry, I, I, I just wondered if you had any thoughts about that, you know, the spaciousness in this song. Yeah, I always, I always kind of take it as the silences, the unknown, <laughs> you know, the, the mm. question of, is it all right? It's okay to sit in that. It's okay to not know. That doesn't mean that we stop. Um, you know, that I, I feel like a big part of all of this process of, of becoming is a large part of it is being okay in those spaces and being okay with not knowing what is really going to happen. Oh, wow. Now you're making me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Shoot. <laughs> Uh, it's beautiful. I think, you know, for me too, it's the, the part where the other voice comes in and he's talking about if you find love, love, like it's the first time God only knows it will be the last time. Yeah. I feel like it's so, that is also part of it too. Like we enter into relationships with people and we want it to last forever, but really we don't really know what turns any relationship is going to take, whether it's a friendship or a romantic partnership. And I feel like I've gotten so stuck on needing to know and needing to be able to define, you know, that I'm trying to learn to be okay with this, this love or this friendship is going to, it is what it is for right now. Mm -hmm. And we just got to try to enjoy all of it, all of life for this moment, because, you know, it could, it could end at any moment. Right. And so you, you're reading the, the spaciousness and the, the empty spaces in this song uh, as just that, that uncertainty and it being all right to be in that in uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That, I had not got that far. <laughs> <laughs> but thank you. Thank you for the, the reminder of that thing, which... Um, yeah, being okay with uncertainty. I, you know, the voice that comes in, it's the the text that you just quoted. If if you find love, love like it's the first time. God only knows it will be the last time. So that voice, I I don't think it's her voice, but it's kind of hard to tell because it they're using a vocoder and it sounds really really like mechanical. Yeah. <laughs> and, What's that about? Why why would those lines like sound kind of like they're coming from a robot? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I had not ever thought about it. <laughs> um, I, I the the first few times I heard this song, I, I, I couldn't understand what was being said. In fact, I had to go and look up the lyrics to to get what that the vocoder voice is is actually saying. Um and and I you know I'll I'll be honest. So to go back to my my worries about this song, this was one of them. It's like, well, those are really crucial lines. Why are they given to this like robotic voice? And what, you know what's going on with that? So I worried about that, and I worried about that, and I worried about that. And <laughs> then I went onto the internet, and I found another version of this song. And it looks to me that this is Alicia Keys in her home studio, doing a COVID performance of it. So it's just her and her keyboard. And oh. there's Yeah, there's there's I nothing. love it when it's just her and her keyboard. <laughs> it's a whole another experience. And you don't have some of these kind of special effects, you know. There's the vocoder voice and there's the the uh, the ocean sounds at the very end of the song and all that stuff, you know. It, she's not doing any of that. It's just her and her keyboard and she sings this song and when it gets to the place where the the robot voice uh, comes in, she just speaks to the camera, and she kind of says things like, "Oh, are you feeling it? You know, is is it getting better?" And she's just so natural and un. She's not trying to do anything except what she already does so beautifully, and. 
for me, it was a completely different experience of the song. And I, all my worries about it, I realized, you know what? That's not her. That's the arrangers. She works. She works with these arrangers, you know, and they saw fit to do these things to the song, which are beautiful. But for me, we're kind of a little bit off-putting. But yeah, if you go to that YouTube version, it's 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 very very warm and sweet and genuine. I'll send you the link. I'll say it, it's not hard to find, uh, but I'll I'll send it to you. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it, among other things, it shows us just how important the arrangement of a song can be. Okay, David. Um, I want to start this by just listening to a little bit of that other version of Authors of Forever. The one I mentioned in the interview where uh, Alicia Keys recorded it just herself and her keyboard. So let's have a little listen to that. Great. We are builders, we are breakers, we are givers, we are takers, and it's alright. We are seven billion stories, and we know defeat and glory, and it's So, yeah, they really are so different. I, I would almost say that they are different songs because they're, the, the, the sonic face of them is, is, so, is so distinct. But this raises a question that I'd, I'd love to hear you speak to us a little bit about this, David. Where is the line between composition and arrangement? What makes an arrangement not just recomposition. And and how does this work, you know, with an artist, this, the stature of Alicia Keys? How, how does this work on her end? Well, okay, so that's a pretty big question. Uh, traditionally, composition has to do with creating a song, right? So creating something original. No one else has ever sang that melody with those words because they came from you first. Typically, we see that as composition. Arrangement, traditionally, has to do with the components of the song, hmm. right? So let's say you're using trumpets and trombones. Traditionally, you would have somebody who has focused a lot of their time on just knowing how to make sure that the trumpets and trombones sound great in that song there's people that go to school just to know how to do this wow right it's it's an art in and of itself away from composition huh. so that's those are the two traditionally the two main parts composition someone makes the song arrangement someone understands how to manipulate the components of the song right now in the pop context the alicia keys context things get kind of blurred a little bit because then her working with her producer created the version that we hear on the record with all of uh, digital instruments mm -hmm. and her voice and the components of that song, the chorus, the pre-chorus, the hook, all of this working in tandem with the, with the producer. So in essence, the producer is also responsible for some of the arranging. So with pop music, everything starts to blur. It's not as uh, cut and dry. Yeah, I'm getting that sense. And it, you know, that old phrase, it takes a village. Um, yeah. <laughs> it, this sounds like a village situation. It, what's so interesting about this, though, is that, uh, you know, when you say to somebody, authors of, of forever, they're going to say, oh, Alicia Keys. She's mm -hmm. the only one we hear about in that whole village situation. Yeah, yeah. And that's why it's so important for people to take the, the time to really, I mean, if I'm going to be honest, buy an album, because usually on the album, you'll have the album credits, or if you buy it digitally, make sure that it comes with the PDF, mm. because on there will always be listed the composer of the song, arrangers, personnel, which are the people who actually play the instruments, the producers, even the beat producers, <laughs> and any other people that worked on these projects, right? So. Usually people just say, oh, I love Alicia Keys' album. Well, Alicia Keys didn't walk into the studio alone and then come out with an album. She worked with many other people. Some of those songs for sure weren't her own, which isn't bad. 
because it's her performances that touch us so much. Yeah. But there's also a whole, like you said, a village uh, behind the product that we attach so much meaning to. Yeah, I think it's really interesting too how like how how different the delivery lands for us as different people, you know, like <laughs> when I when I'm thinking about that voice that comes in that's robotic. For me, I can still see it in a positive way because I feel like that's a hard message for us to hear as mm. people. So I feel like it's almost like <laughs> kind of cool that they that they did it that way because it's like it's it's this voice of like wisdom but it's a hard message for us to hear and them doing it that way like literally makes it hard for us to hear <laughs> wow that's super cool i like that a lot <laughs> yeah yeah like maybe if god were to decide to actually like speak directly to us maybe it would be that hard to understand because you know <laughs> <laughs> who knows but that i like that a lot okay that that helps me thank you <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I don't like struggling with songs, you know. Um, yeah. <laughs> but sometimes, I, and, and I'm, I know I'm not alone in this, sometimes I hear things that, that just put me off or they disturb me or they hang me up. And, and that's one reason I, I really like talking about music with people is sometimes, you know, you just talk to someone who's got a different set of ears and they can just help you past something. Yeah, it's so cool <laughs> to hear like the different perspectives and like it's so cool that you notice that the that the beats are kind of the same, you know, that it's a march. That that's so cool. <laughs> I mean, that was that was just pure chance. I played one song and then I played the other and it was like, "Oh, they're they're almost exactly the same tempo." So and that's and and that's very cool from my perspective that both the songs you chose to represent these differently facing aspects of your own life uh that they have this kind of rhythmic unity to them and and actually that that sort of leads us to i think a, a good wrapping up question there's this kind of constant rhythm that is going through these two songs that represent two different aspects of your life at the same time there are very obvious differences just just the the intensity the you know the the, the density and the intensity of of Anita Tiju's song, and then the, the calm, spacious, just let it be the way it is kind of non-intensity of Alicia Keys. And does that describe a, a progress in your own life, would you say, or are both qualities kind of present at the same time? I think that, I think that, that, that it has been a pattern. Hmm. I feel like I don't know. I don't know when this shift happened. <laughs> um, I, I'm turning 42 this year, so I feel like it's maybe kind of recent. Maybe it was when I turned 40. But previous to being 40, um, I felt like this incredible urgency and just like my energy is like, go hard, go strong, go hard, go strong. I need to know. Like, I have to know. I have to know. And now I feel like I have very much settled into this place of I don't need to be so forceful. I don't need, there's not such an urgency, you know? And I, and I think also my partner has really helped me with this. <laughs> like mm -mm. we're not trying to get it all done right, right now. <laughs> like it's, it's a journey and we, we should enjoy the journey mm. and, um, and it's okay to just kind of slow down and make space for what is happening in the moment instead of always rushing to get X, Y, and Z done, you know? for whatever yeah. reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, those are wise words. And, 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 you know, quite often when you manage to do that, uh, you know, to just unplug a little bit, the things that so need doing, they, you find that they kind of magically do themselves. <laughs> yeah, it all, it all ends up all right. <laughs> There you go. For the yeah. most part. <laughs> well, yeah, except when it doesn't, of course. But yeah. <laughs> we are only individuals, and we can only do what we can do. We cannot do everything. And, yeah, I, I get you there. I mean, I struggle with that one every day. And I, I really appreciate, Marla, just your, yeah, your, your 
the wisdom th that's coming through your words and, and the, the openness, the openness to empty space maybe, or the openness to incompletion. Uh, that's a lesson I'm going to take away from this interview and just be kind of digesting it. Thank you so much. This was so fun. <laughs> it's so fun. I just love doing these interviews. My gosh, uh, every single one of them. And yeah, this was a beauty. Thank you, Marla. Thank you. Would you like to know more? On our website at ciofuera.org, you can find lyrics to the songs we discuss, our blog about the issues of history, culture, and politics that come up around every song, links for listeners who might want to pursue a theme further, and some very cool imagery. You'll also find playlists of all the songs from all the interviews to date, and our special staff-curated playlist as well. We invite your comments or questions. Contact us at our website or participate in the Cio Fuera conversation on social media. We're out there on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. And then there's just plain old word of mouth. If you like our show, do please tell your friends and your families to give it a listen. And do please subscribe on any of the major podcast platforms. We'll bring you a new interview every two weeks on Friday mornings. Julia Alanis, Cynthia Marcel de la Torre, and Wesley McClintock are our sound engineers. Zoe Broussard and Laura Diaz hold down the marketing. David Castaneda is music researcher. Deaneira Garcia and Alex Dolvan make production possible. We are a not-for-profit venture currently and gratefully funded by the John Paul Simon Guggenheim Foundation. For now, and until the next interview, keep listening to one another. I'm Elizabeth Le Guin, and this is Si Yo Fuera Una Canción, If I Were a Song. Si yo fuera una canción, sonarían por las calles, las montañas y los valles, mi orgullo y mi pasión. ¿Quién soy yo de corazón? Soy una ola, soy una onda, una vibración que ronda por el universo vivo. Y sonando soy testigo a nuestra unidad más honda.